From the home of creative writing on the internet, live and uncensored, this is Latopia After Dark. Featuring a fusion of low-down gossip and lofty debate. All hosted by Latopia's Peter Cox. Hello and welcome to Latopia After Dark, the net's first and foremost writer's salon. We feature a mixture of old friends and usually a few new faces too, drawn from the worlds of writing, publishing, media, culture and the arts generally. Our agenda is simple, if it's interesting to writers, it's important to us. Lots to tackle tonight, so let's get straight in and see what's been happening this week. The Writing Week in 60 Seconds. The story of Edgar Sortel, a first novel by David Rabluski, was number nine last week in the New York Times hardcover fiction chart, and it's now number one. It's an audacious retelling of Hamlet, says the Los Angeles Times, sat on a farmstead in the rural Midwest, a pastiche, in which dog breeders, veterinarians, cops, and even puppies are made to play the familiar roles from Shakespeare's greatest play. Remarkably, Rabluski brings it off with flair, the Times says. Hot, Flat and Crowded by Thomas Friedman is still top of the non-fiction chart, and Barton Gelman's look at Dick Cheney's actions as vice president in his new book, Angler, is the joint highest new entry, along with Through the Storm by Britney Spears' mother. We all want our children to succeed, says the publisher's blurb. What happens when they do? Well, presumably they go from being Disney masketeer to getting strapped to a gurney in a psychiatric hospital, something any parent can surely be proud of. Oh, and don't forget the merchandising opportunities too. Well, that's what's been going on this week. Remember to keep up to date with our companion podcast, Litopia Daily, five days a week. We have a panel for you this evening that I can only call... Svelte. From Fort Lauderdale in Florida, the lightning strike capital of America, we have writer and leading lawyer Donna Borman. Donna's first book is A Writer's Guide to the Courtroom, due to be published in May next year. She's also working on several young adult writing projects and, as you will surely know, gentle listener, she presents The Right Report every day on Litopia Daily. From England's West Country, it starts at Bath and ends at the Lizard. That surely is going to confuse all our American listeners. Comes Dave Bartram. He's working on a novel for the young adult market and he's also a lecturer. From Edinburgh, the capital of Bonnie Bonnie Scotland, where they still shoot a cannon every day at noon. And by cannon, I mean an old-fashioned weapon, not an ecclesiastical gentleman. Comes Eve Harvey. Eve is Latopia's podcast officer. She is the top banana of Eve's Salma Gundy Club. And at the same time, she's also currently working on a young adult novel. Way to go, Eve. And finally... Our very special guest tonight is Martin Toesland. Martin has been at Penguin Books for 13 years before moving to HarperCollins as publishing director for Collins. One of his many successes has been the Times Sudoku series of books, which has sold 7 million copies. A couple of years ago, he decided that he'd done corporate publishing, thank you very much, and in a classic case of gamekeeper turning poacher, he became an author, agent, freelance commissioning editor, and to fill his empty hours, he also sits on the board of a new charity called the Learning Skills Foundation. But that's not all. With his brother, he also ghostwrites books, including one or two pretty famous ones, which he may or may not choose to tell us about. And one more thing. His next book is out in a week's time. It's called A Steroid Hit the Earth. More about that in a moment. And that's our cute as a button panel for tonight. 
Now let's meet our panellists, up close, very personal, and rather warty tonight. Donna, a big news story this week was the Nobel Prize Permanent Secretary's comments that Europe is the centre of the literary world, not the United States. Speaking on behalf of all American authors, past and present, what would you say back to Mr Horace Engdahl? Hmm. Not much that wouldn't involve four-letter words, I'm afraid. After all, I'm American, and I'm too stupid to know any big words. Um, <laughs> after our last few elections, I can see how we give a bad impression. But still, aren't these juries supposed to be unbiased? I think he needs to step down so someone who doesn't believe in hackneyed stereotypes can serve. Wow. Impressive call for resignation there. Yeah. Uh, Martin, your new book is called A Steroid, a Steroid Hit. The Earth, subtitled The Catastrophic World of Misprints. So what's your favourite typo, omission, or spelling mistake? Um, I've got a couple. Um, the one that I think ranks as the very, very best is um, because of the circumstance and the timing. Um, it was in the Times in 1893, and the occasion was Queen Victoria opening, uh, reopening the Menai Bridge. Um, and the unfortunate um, sub-editor and subsequently the editor, I'm sure, allowed this to pass. The Queen herself graciously pissed over the magnificent edifice. <laughs> uh, which I, I can't imagine what happened in the Times offices the next day. Uh, and that's, then, that's worth uh, the money of your book already, actually. What's, what's, the, what's the other one? Uh, the other one is, is, is just a very homely one, which I think is just um, one of those, when you read it, you realise the the value of rereading what you've written. In fact, it's from the Leicestershire Parish Magazine, and uh, it says, Winners in the homemade claret section were Mrs. Davis, fruity, well-rounded, Mrs. Rayner, fine <laughs> colour and full-bodied, and Miss Ogle Smith, slightly acid, but should improve if laid down. Fantastic. <laughs> Fantastic. Very good. We could talk all night about that. Actually, what we know, better by the book, is Eve, Marmite, Marmite, love it or hate it? Cannot stand it. Anna Boggan used to try and mash her Marmite sandwiches into my face in chemistry because she knew it made me throw up. And my stomach still yaks at the memory. Oh, so you've, you've, got, you've extracted your revenge tonight, hasn't it? It's a dish best you can toast it, perhaps. If you're uh, listening to this, Anna Boggan. Uh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, talking about street fights, Dave, in a street fight, who would win, do you think? Britney Spears' mum, Gwyneth Paltrow or J.K. Rowling? Well, when I first thought about that, um, I would have gone for Britney Spears' mum, but I've been thinking about it a bit more, and I think it would be Gwyneth Paltrow, because she'd get that bloke from Radiohead to come in and just bore everybody to death so they'd go away. Yeah, I'm sure that's exactly what would happen, actually. How logical. Well, now, gentle listener, you've got a feel for the foibles and dysfunctionalities of our panellists. It's time to put them to work. And now, the most hotly anticipated moment of the show. It's time to play Pitch the Nasty Agent. <laughs> yes, the idea is very simple, fiendishly simple, in fact. I give you panellists two book titles each, uh, one after uh, each other, not both at once, and you've got to pitch them back as if you're in some sort of, uh, I don't know, nightmarish, phantasmagorical editorial commissioning meeting. This week's titles are all taken from the Daily Telegraph's list of the top 50 best cult books. So, Donna, let's start with you. This is by James Hogg, H-O-G-G, -G, and it's called The Private Memoirs and Confessions of a Justified Sinner. 
Well, this is going to be an instant bestseller because it's Dick Cheney's autobiography, and it's sort of an if I did it for politics, and he explains the real purpose of his man-sized safe. Hmm. Well, I think that's that's entirely logical. Makes a lot of sense to me. Um, Dave, would you care to mark that, please? Oh, I think that's uh, I think that's a nine. That's a nine. Okay, nine out of ten. Very good start there, um, Dave. You've got one yourself now. It's by a young up-and-coming author called Germaine Greer, G R W E R, and the working title at least is the female eunuch. Well, that's interesting actually because the pronunciation is very important. It's the female nuch because it's the new Star Trek novel. <laughs> and it's, it's the story, it's, it's Klingon for exile. And it's the story of this poor, unfortunate Klingon lady who falls to earth and ends up working in a Cornish call centre where she gets called <laughs> pasty head all the time. And it's the story of how she overcomes these terrible prejudices, discovers the mysterious uh, substance of anti-pasty, and creates a subspace wormhole and escapes back to the Klingon homeworld. Oh, my God. Fantastic. Well, I, I mean, what, Martin, we have to, you have to give some marks for this. I mean, it's a, it's a serious <laughs> book. It's got to be a, a bestseller, hasn't it? Well, it's nine and a half. Nine, no, you can't give halves because it's too complicated for me. <laughs> make, make your mind up. <laughs> Do you love thirds? <laughs> um, okay, well, I, I, nothing certain in publishing. I'll give it a Nine. Nine. <laughs> Oh, nine from the Russian judge. All right, right. Martin, okay, we're going to get a little little edge going here. Martin, you've got one here. John Kennedy Toole is the author's name, and the title he's given is, is A Confederacy of Dunces. Yeah, I think he, what you need to think of here is the famous old wrestler giant Haystacks. He's got a penchant yeah. for medieval philosophy. He's railing against the American dream, and it's in New Orleans. Oh. You think camp comedy, slapstick, fast-talking, deep south wit. You put it all together... And you get the best critique of 20th century society told by a wrestler, and it will put Boethius back on the map. Yeah, it sounds like a winner to me, but what do I know? I'm just an agent. What do you think, Eve? Oh, that's fantastic. I love giant haystacks. That, that is a nine as well. That's a nine, too. So yeah, no one's actually gone the full ten yet. <laughs> Let's see if we can do this with you, Eve. You've got one by uh, an author called Naomi Wolf, and the title is The Beauty Myth. I'm sorry, that's actually, that's a misprint in your copy. The book is actually called The Beauty Moth. Oh. And it's a lepidopterous guide to the beauty moths of Australia, hmm. including the bizarre loper, <laughs> Granny's cloak, and my absolute favourite, the big greasy. Yes, the big greasy, yes. Very common moth, of course, in Australia. Uh, Donna, yes. what, what would you say? Well, I love moths, so I would have to give that one a 10. Ah, we've broken through the barrier. Congratulations. He's got a 10. <laughs> All right, but there's still time. Second round coming up. Donna, your own second title is Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas by Hunter S. Thompson. Well, this is a really timely story of a financial ca catastrophe and Congress's bailout solution. They decide to put $700 billion on red. Can our heroes stop them before they spin? <laughs> well, Brilliant. timely, timely as always. I mean, again, sounds like a winner to me. What do you think, Dave? Um, well, I don't understand that. No, oh. yes, I do. Okay. Maybe. Um, <laughs> something about roulette. Uh, so a nine again, I nine. think. Nine. I've got a feeling you're being a little generous from your tone of voice there, but never mind. Okay, and we've got one from um, somebody who's, um, whose name starts with an L. L. Ron. L. Ron Hubbard. L. Ron Hubbard. Yes, and he's got a strange title I haven't really heard of before called Dianetics. 
Uh, well, this is an interesting one. You know, he's a he's a modest, self-effacing, very sane and egalitarian gentleman, <laughs> and uh, he's written this marvelous book. It's a self-help book. It's a do-it-yourself book, and it's how to build your own robot Lady Diana, Princess of Wales. Oh, it's got to work. Got to work, hasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Martin, come on. Surely that's got to be that's, best, huh? that, That's a ten. That's, that's a, a ten. It's a ten. It's a ten. And Martin, your second book is by Erica Jong. And her working title is A Fear of Flying. Yeah, I think all I'm going to say about this is um, you have a woman with an insatiable curiosity about and for an appetite for sex. Yeah. You, add in, you add in a quest, a phobia, a psychoanalyst conference, yeah. and you put it all together for 300 pages. And the result is Sex in the City 30 years ago. Fantastic. That's got to work. What do you think, Eve? Yep, ten. A ten. Ten from me. Ooh, it's ever so close. Six in it. That's the six in it. It's got it's, ten. Well, yeah, but I mean, the, <laughs> the ultimate book for you, Eve, surely sale. it would be Giant Haystacks and Sex, wouldn't it, really? <laughs> press, yes. press all those buttons. What a horrible thought. <laughs> <laughs> Eve, you, you're, you're the last now, so it uh, kind of all depends on, on you. Um, the author's name, almost unpronounceable, Erich von Däniken, perhaps is some kind of German film director, I don't know. Chariots of the Gods is the title he's chosen. Well, this is actually a book about fast cars. Oh. Fast cars containing stars, in fact. Yeah. It's a coffee table book full of glossy photos of Brad Pitt, Johnny Depp, George Clooney, getting in and out of slick supercars. It's yeah. every girl's dream book, and it'll be a must-have for Auntie Beryl this Christmas. Yeah, I can see that working. What do you think, Donna? Um, I bet it'll sell lots. I'll give it a nine. Nine. Ooh. Very good. Well, let's see what the scores are. It's incredibly close at the end of this round. Uh, Donna's got 18. Dave has got 19. Martin has got 19. And Eve has got 19. So barely anything at all. Well done, everybody. There's still a chance, as you know, right at the end of the show to surge ahead there, as indeed Donna did amazingly well last week. Um, but now we've got some serious stuff to do. Look out, world. It's time to rumble. Let's get ready. This is the moment when Latopia's literati lock horns. The Brannigan of the Week. Yeah, so uh, what's been going on? Well, Gwyneth Paltrow's new website, goop, G-O-O-P dot com, opened this week uh, to a torrent, actually, of international abuse. This is what Elizabeth Renzetti wrote in Toronto's Globe and Mail. Why is it called goop? Perhaps because any old load of rubbish and learn from me, ungrateful peasant, were both taken, Liz says. In essence, Gwyneth would like to reach down from her eerie in North London and show you how to live and shop meaningfully. Except, Liz goes on, that the point is completely moot. You and I will never be six-foot-tall blonde goddesses constructed entirely of lentils and self-righteousness. <laughs> Gwyneth's website isn't even out of beta yet, but there's enough there to get right up women's noses, it would seem. Here are some sample exhortations. Learn something new, Gwyneth says. Hmm, that's a good idea. Don't be lazy, work out and stick with it. My life is good, she says, because I'm not passive about it and I want to nourish what is real and I want to do it without wasting time. And maybe, maybe these came out of Martin's book, actually. After spending time with Goop, writes Liz, I thought I might respond with my own lifestyle website, low budget, practical advice for you and your kids and your misaligned chakras. I think I'll call it poop. Hmm. Here's a sample nugget of advice from Liz's poop. Scavenge last night's cake crumbs from the folds of your bra or stomach. Put them on a pretty plate and treat yourself to a picnic in the park. 
You don't see men falling for this, do you, declares Liz. They're not rushing out to buy Jeremy Clarkson's fine art of gonad scratching or Vin Diesel tidies your toolbox. Let's take a page from their book of sanity. Well, big question is... Uh, is she right? I mean, I do remember, actually, a couple of years ago, a certain publisher, who shall be nameless, but whose namelessness began with a P, ends with an N and has an Engi in the middle, brought out Life Balance, the essential keys to a lifetime of well-being by Heather Mills McCartney. It was the same kind of pact that always seems to be contained in these celebrity lifestyle books or websites. With immaculate timing, the publisher released the book at the time Lady McCartney became somewhat less popular than a fart in a spacesuit. So what attract what attracts us to these self-serving projects? Uh, got to ask you, really, Martin, haven't we? Uh, um, what attracts us? Uh, there is an absolutely morbid fascination with them, isn't it? I, I, yeah. I can't think of anything else than you wanted to actually feel yourself squirm as you as you as you look at them. That's the only thing I can really think um, that they're that's the attraction. Well, of you're them speaking is. as a man, but I mean, presumably, women take these things seriously, do they? Um, I've absolutely no idea, and I don't think I've ever asked anyone. Um, it's it's it it seems I've looked at the website today, and it has um, I suppose it's six categories: make, yeah. go, get, do, be, and see. And it's just it it just is vacuous, yeah. absolutely vacuous. Well, and, it's um, it's, it's not really even a website, actually, is it? I mean, the, the people have really gone for the juggle right. without the thing being open. Um, Donna, I mean, let's let's you know, as two completely puzzled men here, perhaps you can explain to us what it is that really you know what what grabs one about these things. Do you know? Well, I have no idea because I would not be attracted to it at all. I don't care what celebrity beauty secrets are. Um, I think she left out some key advice, which is be born to wealthy, successful, popular Hollywood parents or you've done it wrong. Um, And that really does help. And and I, I think that she forgets some of the advantages maybe that she's had and is being a little bit condescending. Um, you know, I'd like to add stuff like, you know, life's too short to spend an hour a day on makeup, but um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I don't get it. I don't know why people buy this stuff, but I don't know why people buy celebrity children's books either. I mean, I, I just don't get the whole fascination with celebrities. All right. Well, you haven't shed any lies at all on it. Eve, come on. I mean, you know, fess up. Do you? Have you ever? No. It's not at all. It just makes it makes me angry actually because it, well, the only difference between her and everybody else is cash. She mm-hmm. has tons of it, and it's nothing to do with inner what's it or karma for the soul. She's got enough money to have a lifestyle that most plebs won't, and that's the only difference. Um, you know, just it just makes me angry when they try and tell us, you know, tell other people what to do. You think, shut up, rich twiglet. Get back on your red carpet and stop telling us how to. You know they don't even have. They don't have to worry about the gas bill or you know. Yeah. I think that's very unfair to Twiglets, which of course do contain marmite. Um, uh, Everyone here is sort of denying any knowledge of this day. I mean, obviously there are millions of people out there who who lap this kind of stuff up. Otherwise, they wouldn't be commercially successful. Uh, Do you know what's going on here? Um, well, yeah, I do actually, because I read it and it completely changed my life. <laughs> I had no idea what I was doing. Nobody told me you had to exercise more than once for a start. I thought, once what? I thought a, you, a, a you, just once, a lifetime. I yeah. did exercise and, and apparently you have to work. What's going on? I can sit down, drink beer, and I feel great. I do exercise, I feel terrible. You know, I didn't realise to work at it. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And all these Exercise other things, is tiring after all, you know. I know. You know, <laughs> where's you out? You, you shorten your life by wearing your body out. 
but she's put me right on that. Shopping tips. I, I wasn't doing makeup at all. Now <laughs> I'm spending an hour a day. I'm attracting a lot more attention in the street. I bet. Um, <laughs> You know, so um, one, one life-changing experience there, at least. Yes. Marvelous. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's, that's heartwarming, actually. Next story isn't quite so heartwarming. Publishing a book in China is a very different process to the one most of our listeners are used to. Writing in the current issue of the American scholar Ha Jin, who's a professor of English at Boston University, explains. Under the propaganda department, he says, there's an office called the General Administration of Press and Publication, GAPP, GAP. It's this office whose approval every publisher, both Chinese and foreign, must obtain before it can publish a book or magazine in China. All the publishing houses get book numbers, ISBNs, from GAP and must submit manuscripts for inspection. The officials at GAP read manuscripts and order what must be cut before a book goes to the printer. To forestall trouble, GAP maintains a list of banned subjects so that all publishers can understand the restrictions and exercise self-discipline. That's self-discipline in quotations. The taboo subjects are numerous, such as the Tiananmen Square Massacre, Tibet, the independence of Taiwan, the anti-rightist campaign, the cultural revolution, the Korean War, Chairman Mao, Falun Gong, the famine in the early 1960s, and so on. Well, now, 20% of the world's population are Chinese, and of course it's a voraciously growing market for us. It's been described by the people as a mature fascist state. Can we change China? And if so, how? Or is it more likely that they are going to change us? And what can writers do in any case, and what should we do? Um, Donna. Well, I don't think we can, as writers, change China other than maybe by trying to set our own good examples here and dealing with some of our own problems with free speech and censorship and stuff that we have. Um, I don't think the concept of trade sanctions and some of the other things that we've tried to do, certainly not wars, um, have worked to get any society to change. So I think the only thing that really has worked is to have more influence um, from our end, try to show them why Western society is good and try to be a positive influence. Yeah, but I mean, that's never really worked before, has it, um, Eve? No, I don't. I don't think they'll change us or we'll change them. I think hopefully we can learn to live differently side by side. I think they're far too big to be changed, certainly, and I don't think they would allow any change. Mm. Um, and I don't think any of us and used to our you know, freedom of speech or, and that sort of thing will be changed there, to their way either. Do you not think so? You don't think they're going to have a, a bad influence on, on Western freedom? Values. Well, I, I would hope not. I saw that Captain Underpants had been um, banned in some schools in America, and I was slightly upset at that because they're a fantastic <laughs> books. And how they could possibly ban Captain Underpants, I don't know. So, I, I mean, I can see certain sectors of society perhaps taking on these things, but yeah. but no, I don't think that generally, no, no, I don't think they'll influence No, I think okay. Dave. People, like, people like Donna and I will stand up for it. Oh, well, that's, that's reassuring. <laughs> Dave. <laughs> Dave. Yes, yeah. Well, I'm actually, there's a, there's a more serious oriental um, embargo going on at the moment. I'm going to draw attention to now. And it's in North Korea, where they, they, they're, they're waging war on long hair on men, which is bothering me quite a lot. Um, We're not planning on going, are <laughs> well, I was thinking Korea would be a big market for my, my work in progress. They actually have a television series entitled Let Us Trim Our Hair in Accordance with Socialist Lifestyle. Uh -huh. 
Uh, if you're over 50, you're allowed, <laughs> you, you are allowed um, seven centimetres of upper hair to cover a bald spot. And uh, the bit that really bothers me, and it, it's kind of hairist, this, they, are, um, they believe that um, hair actually takes a lot of nutrients and saps the brain and the ability to think, can rob the brain of energy. So I'm more concerned about that right now because obviously if I don't make it in career, I'm not going to make it anywhere. I, I, Dave, I think there's something, you know, you've been reading the Gwyneth Paltrow website just a little too closely perhaps. I know it's a very positive effect on you. Um, Martin, have you ever had direct uh, experience of, of this kind of, I suppose you'd call it self-censorship, really? No, I, I'm afraid I haven't. Um... I mean, I, I thought what was what was quite interesting at the end of the uh, end of the piece was um, the, this linking of creativity within China. You know, if we're talking about twenty percent of the world's population, mm. um, and what the um, the writer says at the end is quite interesting because he then talks about how few um, thinkers and artists, uh, at least that we know about, have actually come out of China in this and the regime there yes and i think i mean that that to me seemed um if not um a glimmer of hope then at least um a reason to think that maybe um that's interesting without being particularly pious about it you know yeah. human creativity endeavor might actually yes. wear this thing down yes um and i you know we we can't stop creating things and it, it's kind of unnatural um to stop people doing that and i wonder if if there is some sort of um thing to hang on to there I think that's a very positive thought. Um, yes, thank, thank you very much for that. Cheered me up a bit. Um, another thing that's happened this week, Sony is launching a campaign for its own version of the Kindle, which is the ebook reader. Spearheading the effort is world record holder speed reader Dave Farrow, who will be reading digital books on the e-reader around the clock for 30 days at a Manhattan storefront. And Dave once memorised 59 decks of playing cards and recalled them one card at a time for more than eight hours to secure his memory title. Uh, does this impress us, Dave? Another Dave? <laughs> are, you, are you going to buy one on the basis of this? No, almost certainly not. I, I, I just find this, this kind of thing extraordinarily facile. Bless him. I mean, it's so impressive on one level, utterly meaningless on another. You don't need to remember the bloody things because they're there. You know, what What an absurdity. And speed reading, reading's like kind of to be enjoyed, not rushed mm. through. I mean, Gwyneth Paltrow's obviously, she likes everything done quickly, so um, she's probably up for it as well. But you should just eat, eat it and save time, you know. I, do, I mean, don't, nobody does speed reading anymore, do they? Sort of like a 1980s fad or something. Uh, Donna, do you, do you do this kind of stuff? Well, I, I don't speed read, but I got to say, anybody who can remember what they had for breakfast impresses the heck out of me. Um, I, I don't really get speed reading. I, I enjoy reading, so I, I tend to take my time with it. But, you know, I, I guess good for him. Eve, speed reading? Yeah, I do actually. Well, I read very quickly. Well, I that, skip. That, you, that means you just skip the boring bits, though, doesn't it? I skip long chunks of text, and if there's a massive paragraph halfway down the page or lots of angsting and introspection, I just skip it and move on to the exciting bits. But I have the patience of a gnat, and I just I, I can't read stuff that's a big block. Well, I've obviously made a huge mistake. They should have you in the storefront in Manhattan for 30 days. Yeah, you probably yeah, can connect with a lot more people. Yeah. <laughs> Martin, what's going on here, actually? I mean, apart from the fact, it seems to me like a completely fatuous stunt, but just sort of look at that. Give us your professional experience. Look at this stunt and then take, take us a bit broader with, with your view of what's going on. Um, well, speed reading is... Um, 
well, I think you're right. It's it's at least twenty years beyond being taken seriously. Um, the e-reader thing. I mean, why? I don't understand the why it would make any sense that somebody should do speed reading on an e-reader of any sort in 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 a bookshop. I mean, what, what's going on there? I know. And oh, fifty-nine decks of cards. Yeah. I mean, really. I mean, this. If you correlate those two things, then you're really saying you're Sony. Really saying. Um, if you want to be the world's most boring person, <laughs> then you, you, you can buy one of these things. I mean, really, 59 yeah. decks of playing cards. Um, I don't think so. Memory is a useful thing. Yeah. As we all know, yes. there's a great cartoon what, what recently. Just Sorry? No, I just, I just forgot what you said. Sorry, go on. <laughs> there's a great cartoon recently in the New Yorker where there's this guy talking to his wife. He's about 70, 75. And he said, I'm not losing my memory. I'm just concentrating on living in the now. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> the right uh the right take on it this is um just um uh, just to spend another moment or two on this because you know we, we always want to know really what our special guests think of this area because it is being sold as the future of writing so it really is quite mm. an important issue um yeah. i mean apart from that this is a really naff stunt by sony yeah. i mean does this do you think does it characterize perhaps the Sony ebook reader as a fairly naff thing. Does it characterize the entire ebook Amazon thing as uh, Kindle as something that in your view is doomed to failure? Or I mean, what's your position on this? Um, I think um, that at the moment, none of the electronic products, as it were, have shaken off the idea of being a gimmick for geeks at the moment. Uh, but I'm not convinced that that won't go away. I, th I think it probably will with time. Mm. Um, the, the the point I think for me is that they don't really do enough. Um, they're not inventive enough. You know the bit. You know it's a cliche, but the book to, to me is still um, a perfect piece of technology. Mm. Um, and I think um, it's really difficult to try and replicate that in any other way. You know, with any other material in some yeah. ways. Um, I can see the point. Say, for fiction, that's kind of useful. Um, in a way, if it felt a bit more touchy-feely, in my own view. But I think with non-fiction, the, the possibilities of what you can do uh, with more tailor-made books, uh, custom-made books, taking parts that you like um, and putting them all together in your own version of a book is a much more interesting um, idea mm. than simply replicating a thing on a flat screen. Why, you know, I, I simply don't get it. No, they don't feel touchy-feely enough to me in the way that a book does, and they don't smell right either. Yeah, they don't That's do that. I, I totally agree with that, and they don't taste right either. Um, <laughs> getting slightly too well, much. Am I giving a little bit too much away here, do you think? <laughs> ask Gwyneth. I'm sure giving she's Giving away done. vegan secrets, I'm not sure. <laughs> I told you we're revealing our dysfunctionalities tonight, gentle listener. The, uh, in, in other news this week, the, the German poet uh, Friedrich Schiller um, was threatened with legal action after failing to pay his TV licence of £14, which is about $28. Schiller's most famous work is a piece entitled Ode to Joy, which recently became the European anthem. It was set to music by another well-known German composer, someone called uh, Ludwig van Beethoven. The fact that Schiller has been dead since 1805 was not considered to be a valid reason for not coughing up the dosh, nor was the fact that he died over 100 years before TV was invented. <laughs> Some people will do anything to get out of paying their TV licence, won't they? Here at Peter Cox Central, I can tell you we still actually get a gas bill about once a year, no more than that, for exactly no pounds and one penny. 
The minor detail that is that we've actually never had gas here. It doesn't seem to be a mitigating factor, but at least they've never threatened to cut us off or prosecute me. In our increasingly regimented and computerised world, cock-ups like these aren't just... They're more common than they used to be, and also less funny, I think, and more of a recurring nuisance, or sometimes a sort of a Kafkaesque nightmare. So I was just wondering if any of our panellists might care to share any officialdom gone mad stories like this with us. Uh, Martin, anything like this ever happened to you? Um, well, it, bizarrely, something did happen to me in Germany as well. Um, oh. It was um, I was going very excited. I was um, going to Berlin to do a year abroad in Berlin, um, and... Uh, I arrived sort of thinking, okay, well, I've got things to do. I had my, my pack from the university telling me what I had to do with various certificates and things like that. First thing, obviously, get a place to live. So I went to the student village um, and I stood in the line for three days for the administrator to sort of eventually see me and expecting a sort of warm welcome and welcome to Berlin and here are the keys and off you go and have a lovely time. And in fact, of course, you're met by somebody who's sour-faced and horrible. And um, they said, they looked at my the form that I brought along and said, um, "Yeah, that's no use. You need to go and register with the police before you can um, <sighs> you can get any accommodation." So of course, I then repeated the the trial by queue at the police um, station, only to get to the front of the queue where an equally sour-faced official told me, "Well, you can't get a police um, certificate without uh, proof of <laughs> where you live." And this this is this complete vicious circle um, carried on until I finally broke it by finding out that you need to get some sort of temporary. Um, temporary accommodation voucher or something like that. But it was one of those things where you think that you couldn't actually make this up. There's something particularly Germanic about that, actually, isn't there? This yeah, is the whole it's ruthless, ruthless inefficiency. Yeah, it's ruthless. What a great phrase. Um, Donna, you ever had anything like that? Or is America not really into this kind of thing? Well, I actually have a hospital that has sent us to collections. And the only problem with that is they owe us the amount that they're trying to collect oh, from us. God. And they admit it. And they keep sending us to collections and won't cut us the checks. So yep, that's yep. my officialdom gone mad story. Well, if you want to sue them, I can give you the name of a good lawyer. Um, yeah. Eve, um, anything from north of the border like this? Um, I, I have a hospital story as well, but I spend a lot of time in hospital stores. Not surprising, I have a hospital story as well. We went to, I took my son to a clinic um, at the hospital and it was just a general paediatric clinic and we got there and he was supposed to be tested for his heart and the woman, the woman sat us down and she said, so you're here for the constipation clinic. <laughs> <laughs> and of they course my... constipation clinic. <laughs> yes. Wow. My nine-year-old sits there gripping the edge of the chair going, no. <laughs> what are you going to do with me? <laughs> so we now have to go back in December for the right one. <laughs> Dave, Dave, any official them gone mad stories down there? Um, got a few. My favourite one happened years ago in Hertfordshire when we kept getting gas bills for gas we didn't use because oh, there yeah. was a meter, but um, we were never connected. And I rang them up and said, "Why do you keep charging me for the standing charge? We don't. We're not connected." And he said, "But it's in case you decide to be connected, <laughs> just in case." <laughs> And nice. I got quite cross and said, look, there's a bus stop outside the house. The bus company don't send me a bill in case I want to get on the bus. <laughs> At which point he went, oh, all right then, and stopped sending his bills. Oh, <laughs> well, at least you, you had somebody who listened to you. They don't always. Thank you very much, panel. We could carry on all night, actually. But right now, we've got to give some urgent advice to a writer in trouble. Got questions? We've got the answers. It's Latopia's Cry for Help. 
Yes, that's right. And once again, I quote the words of that immortal lyricist Rick Astley. Cry for help is all I need. All I need is a cry for help. Cry for help is all I need. All I need is a cry for help. Thank you, Rick. Sheer genius. Um, as you know, every week we take a listener's inquiry, question or dilemma, toss it over to our magnificent panel, who invariably come up with some ill-thought-through, sort of gut-instinctual stuff, casually meant after very, very little consideration, really. And hey, presto, problem solved. This week's question comes from GP. It doesn't say whether it's a Mr or Mrs GP, who writes from Primrose Hill, North London. And it goes like this. Please help me. I've done everything right. Everybody says yes to me all the time. But I'm now ridiculed for my website. Why? Mm, well, GP, let's see what our panel thinks. Um, Donna. Well, GP, I'd have to say nobody likes a little Miss Perfect. So my advice is run through a fountain naked, fall asleep in a drunken stupor in your neighbor's living room, and then sign up for rehab. You'll be popular again in no time. That's like fantastic advice to me, as long as they see if GP's not going to sue, of course. Um, Eve. Because you are a twiglet. No other reason, <laughs> just because you're a twiglet. Right. That's it. Uh, that's, it's tough I love. Have no it's advice. tough love, isn't I it? I am not helping. Yeah. No, I think that's tough love, and I think that's absolutely the right thing to yeah. do. Yeah. Martin. That um, I, I, I take the opposite view, I'm afraid. I, I, I think she needs to look deep within herself. Mm. She needs to nourish her inner aspect. Yes. And balance, balance, balance the forces of nature that are applying themselves to her. Well, that and be, I think, yeah. I think she, she needs to take time out and investigate thoroughly the, um, the, the stresses and strains within her own body. Yes. Once she's got her once she's got her balance back, then she'll be fine. Well, that last emperor scene when they go around examining stools and things. That might be. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I, yeah. I think that sounds very reasonable too, Dave. Yeah, that, that's kind of the thing I was I was thinking. I think she needs to take herself to a spiritual retreat somewhere, compose an ode to her private parts, <laughs> listen to all of the Radiohead albums over and over and over again. And then when she's done that, she'll just be too depressed to do a website and everybody will be happy. Yes. Well, there you go, GP, whoever you are. We certainly have reached out and touched you tonight, which I understand is OK, behind closed doors in Primrose Hill. <laughs> It's time to play Toad Suck Arkansas. Reverse Shuffle Six Card Strip Poker Red. Yes, it is. And uh, you probably know the rules by now, but let's just go through it quickly. I'm going to think of a person from literature. It could be a character, an author, a personality. They may be real, they may be fictional. And it's up to our panellists to guess who. Uh, they ask me questions in turn. Um, I'm only going to answer yes or no. If I'm very kind, I might give a, a hint or two. And when they're made, ready to make a guess, uh, they could, they've got to wait until it's their turn, of course. And then, this is where the poker side comes in, they can gamble as many points as they've got left. So they start with six. Each time they make a guess, it goes down. So if you get halfway through saying you've got three points left and you're sure you've got the answer of the winner, then you could gamble three points. And if you're lucky, if you're right, you get twice your points back. So this really is going to be the decider for that title that everyone wants all the time, which is Let's Hope in the Week. Um, right, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. Donna, ask the first question. Is it a fiction author? Yes, it is. Dave. Okay, I'm going to go out on a limb here because I'm so rubbish at this. Oh, no, you're not going to guess already, are you? No, no, no. If I send you, if I send you 10 quid, will you email me the answer? <laughs> yes, I will, but it'll be after the show. I've just won 10 quid. Uh, uh, Martin. 
is it a he, as my it daughter would say? Is a he, yes, Eve. Is it British? It is a British he, yes. That's the end of the first round. <clears throat> Everyone has uh, got rid of one point. Oh, I'm going to be generous. I'm going to give a hint. I'm going to say woman's hour. Donna. Um, woman's hour. Um, have they written anything uh, new in the 21st century? I do believe they have. Yes, Dave. Oh, I'm just going to guess wildly at this point. How many points, uh, then? Are you going to hazard? Uh, just one. Okay. <laughs> Nick Hornby. No, it's not Nick Hornby. <laughs> Martin. Martin. Um, <laughs> that's kind of threw me down. Um, <laughs> author British 20 Feel the tension. Women's hour. God, yeah, yeah the pressure's mounting. Yeah, um, it really is. I was just a little clock in the background. <laughs> <laughs> uh... Tick, tick. I've got some. Tick, uh, tick, tick. Is he published in America? Yes, he is. Eve. Is he on the bestseller list? Has um, he been on the bestseller he list? He has been on the bestseller list. End of the second round. I'm going to give you another clue, panel. Come on, get your wits together. Drinks from caffeine. The next clue is ZX81. Donna. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> 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 Um, focus, focus, you can do speaking, it. You're speaking British at me. It's very confusing. <laughs> I'm not, actually. I'm speaking geek at you. <laughs> Zed. <laughs> ZX81. Some people know what that means. Okay. Um, I'm Googling it. Is, no. Um, I, I know what it means. Is it a sci-fi author? Um, uh, do you want, shall I be strict with you? No. <laughs> well, the strict answer is no. The less strict answer is yes. So you got two for the price of one, and don't ask again. Dave. Well, I know who invented the ZX81, but he's not an author, is he? So um, Is that your question? No. <laughs> I'm just, that's just my brain working. Um, but somebody who's a sci-fi author but isn't, is, it springs to mind. Um, but that's not got the same name. So... Put all that together and I have no idea, so I'll say Ian Banks. Oh, another guess. How many points are you going to venture? Oh, just one. Just one. No. Martin. I'm going to guess. And I'm, How many points have I got left? You have one, two, three, four points. Um, is it Ian? I'll bet those. I, Ian Sinclair? It is not Ian Sinclair. Oh. I'm sorry. Devastated. Yeah. <laughs> God, I've got no idea. Come on, focus for heaven's sake. Um, I don't know. I don't even know what to ask. To ask, tell me what to ask. <laughs> tell me a question to ask. Uh, the answer is no. I'm not going to. Donna. <laughs> Round four. Um, I'll give you. I'll give you. I tell you. What, I'll throw in. Why not? I'm going to win this hands down. I'm going to be yeah. generous and magnanimous. I'm going to throw in another hint. Heaven knows, I'm a, a fool to myself. It's Maggie Soup. M-A-G-G-I. Soup. Maggie Soup. Donna. I am going to bet three points on Terry Pratchett. Oh, my goodness gracious. How did you get that? You haven't been Googling, have you? Have you been Googling? 
tell me, tell me, no. I, I can't reveal my secrets. You weren't Googling. Were you Googling? Because if you were, you know it's going to happen, don't you? Donna, talk to me. Well done, Donna. Good for you. Beaten by people. I think, I think we're going to have an official inquiry here, but... Ah, well, if no one else is going to challenge it, then congratulations, Donna. You did get that right. Absolutely right. And I'd like you, since no one is going to challenge that, and since you probably are going to win the title of the Taping of the Week, I'm going to ask you a question after we've heard your inaugural theme. It's getting tense. It's getting sweaty. It's time to crown the Latopian of the Week. Right, now then, Donna, you were behind. <laughs> you did have 18 points, but now you miraculously have 22. So congratulations. And what I'd like, what I'd like to know is, what did Maggie Soup mean? I have no idea. I, I have no idea. I see. So it was just an. That inspired, did not help. Yes. That didn't, did not help. It didn't help. help. All right. Fair enough. I, I I retract everything. I retract everything. You fully deserve the title. Let me tell you, Woman's Hour referred to the fact that it was Woman's Hour actually, a, a very well known um, BBC Radio Four series in the UK. Uh, listened to in those days, 1985, by probably I'm guessing about 10 million people or so, and it was Woman's Hour really that broke out Terry Pratchett and his writing. Uh, when Woman's Hour serialised The Colour of Magic as a serial in six parts in 1985, ZX81 because Terry Pratchett is a computer geek, and right from the very beginning of computers, which as some people will know, um, in the UK was really all about the Sinclair and the ZX81. And I had a Spectrum. Yeah, that came immediately after the ZX81, I think, didn't it? And yeah. Maggie's Maggie Soup actually was a fascinating thing that perhaps only Terry Pratchett fans, diehard fans, will know, which is that he actually changed his German publishers after an advertisement for Maggie Soup appeared in the middle of the German-language version of Pyramids. How, how naff is that? Congratulations, Donna. Well done. Well done. Good. Well done. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> well, the time has, has passed very quickly. I want to thank everyone for being fantastic panellists tonight. Um, in particular, Donna Borman, who, of course, is our famed Latopian of the Week, Dave Bartram, Eve Harvey from Bonnie Bonnie Scotland, and our very special guest, Martin Tosland, whose book, A Steroid Hit the Earth, The Catastrophic World of Misprints, is out, published by Portico Books, on the 10th of October. Thank you very much indeed for being our special guest, Martin, tonight. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. Pleasure. Yeah, I did. Thanks very much indeed. Fantastic. And I tell you, why don't we do this all again next week? Good night, everybody. Night-night. Good night. Good night. 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 Writers Colony, www.litopia.com. Show notes and links mentioned in this program can be found on our podcast website, podcast.litopia.com. Litopia After Dark is recorded before a live audience on Ustream every Friday at 8 p.m. London time, 3 p.m. New York, 12 noon, Los Angeles. Come along and be part of the show. Full instructions on the website. If you like what you've just heard, tell your friends and post a review on iTunes. We'll see you next week. <laughs>